Welcome back to another episode of Ramiumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode has a title. I don't know what it's going to be yet. <laughs> the format on this one's different, and I'm not sure what I'm going to call it. So uh, stick around and, and we'll we'll get to this one. Thank you for coming back to listen to another episode. I am glad to be done with all of the general conference episodes that I have been doing. While they were interesting and I do feel like I learned some things from conference, it's not something that I enjoy a ton. So <laughs> I was doing that for you guys. I didn't, as I said at the outset, I don't have a name for this one and I'm not sure exactly what to call it. But what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be reading some of the comments that I've received on some of my episodes and talking about some of the great insights that the listeners have shared. And I am I am so grateful for those that have pushed back and maybe uh, disagreed with some of the things that I've said. I'm grateful for the dialogue that we've been able to have. And I just love the discourse that I've had around some of these episodes with some listeners. And so the, the comments that I'm going to be sharing today are a mix from both the YouTube channel, from the website, and from Facebook and some of the Facebook messages that I've got. And these are in no particular order. Um, it's not something where, you know, my favorite to least favorite. It's just I'm going from, from the website to Facebook and then to the YouTube. Yes, I did call it the YouTube. I don't know why, but we're sticking with it. The YouTube. The first comment that I want to read was in response to my episode on the trolley problem. This listener disagreed with my assessment and in an excellent way. I, I really liked how it was worded. And here's what this listener said. While I appreciate your effort to find objective angles of perspective, holding space for Mormon leaders' difficulties and facing complexities of their position completely negates... And then she listed off a number of things. So it says, it negates the suffering they have caused, currently cause, and will cause in the future. Negates the benefits that they receive. The foundation of their authority is built on misogyny, racial discrimination, dishonesty, fear-mongering, and wealth, keeping these influences alive. Simply put, they cause pain for their own gain. Their personal or collective moral dilemma is of no value compared to the suffering they cause, either directly or indirectly. So your trolley problem question, in my view, is not whether they save the marginalized few at the expense of the aging majority. The trolley question is whether the institution continues protecting the few who happily or fearfully ride the inside the trolley to to wherever the conductor deems they should go, or if the trolley should be forced to stop and abandoned on the tracks, forcing the pass passengers to either huddle inside an abandoned car or step outside. I love the way this listener engaged with my episode here. It is awesome that this person disagreed with me, so much so that, that they posted it out so clearly. I am so appreciative of this perspective. 
I did write a response to them in the comments on the uh, on the website. Here is what I had said in response to them. Prior to this episode, I had done a number of weeks of content where I offered more criticism. I decided to write an episode that could potentially be shared with a believing family member or friend that held fewer of my own personal thoughts. I added, I agree with your assessment completely. Now, for those that have listened for a while, I I don't always share what my thoughts are on a subject. I try and present a, a neutral position on some of these ideas. And even though I might disagree, in this particular episode that, that we're discussing, it was called The Trolley Problem, I was attempting to humanize the leaders of the church. I was attempting to humanize them in a way that isn't done very often. Now, even if I disagree with the decisions that they're making, with the systems that put them in power, I think there is still value in seeing them as human beings, because that's what they are. On one hand, for every, for every bad decision a leader of the church has made or harmful talk that they've given, part of the blame goes to the institution. This institution that was handed to them just as much as they're handing it to other people. Even if I disagree with them and disagree with many of the teachings of the system, I recognize that even the leadership is a victim of the system. I'm not making the claim that they're a victim to the extent of many, many other people that have been harmed by these systems. But many of these ideas were not ideas of their own. They were handed to them by previous church leaders. Does that mean they're not at fault? No, I I don't think it does. But in my attempt to be at peace with my place in the world, I have learned to accept other people, even those that I disagree with, for who they are. I I really loved this comment because it was an interesting way for me to, to hear some of the thoughts that I might have shared if I were responding to someone saying what I said. If that makes sense at all. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> when I was reading this comment, it was almost as if there were two parts of myself that were able to have a discussion there. This part of me that, that really just, that is really dissatisfied with the direction of the church. And that this part of me that, that wants to call out every single problem that I see. And it was as if this part of me that agrees with this commenter was able to rationally interact with the part of me that wants to find peace in my life and peace in my position against the church. I recognize I'm trying to explain that my efforts for neutrality and understanding sometimes go against what my ideas are and my opinions are on these subjects. So listener, thank you so much for this comment. I loved it. It, uh, it was interesting to read it, and, and I appreciate your perspective. I had a listener reach out to me by the name of Zach, and he asked a, he asked a great question. So I'm going to read what he said to me, and I'll talk a little bit about my response. 
that I sent back to him and maybe elaborate just a little bit more on it. And this comment was sent back in uh, back in October, right after I released my first episode about General Conference last month. Here's what he said. He said, Scott, I've enjoyed your podcast and appreciate your thoughtful approach and quality of your content. Thank you so much. Right off the bat. That's awesome. I, I appreciate the kind words. And I have received similar sentiments from a lot of listeners, and it, it makes me feel really good. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Zach continued by saying, I took your recommendation and watched Midnight Mass on Netflix. I really liked all of Mike Flanagan's other shows and loved this. Through about episode five, I really didn't like the way it ended and preferred the mysterious suspense to the bloodbath. Now I skipped a couple of words that might have been a spoiler for someone who hasn't watched it. Did you like the ending? Why? So <laughs> I'll answer these questions and then I'll continue reading what he said. So Midnight Mass was a really interesting show to watch. I think there are some really clear parallels to Joseph Smith and the way he led the church. In this particular show, Midnight Mass, there is a preacher in town and he is prepping the congregation for something that's very harmful and, and wrong. But the way he's doing it, the tactics and the methods that he's using to talk about this are, are straight out of the happiness letter. Taking the teachings in the scriptures and reinterpreting them in a way to fit the, this new paradigm. Now, in the happiness letter, this is Joseph Smith reinterpreting scripture in a way to promote polygamy. And, and in Midnight Mass, he's reinterpreting scripture in a way to... <laughs> I can't say too much without giving it away, but he's, he's reinterpreting scripture in a way to promote a bit of cannibalism and consuming each other, like vampirism sort of things. One of, the, one of the messages that both Joseph Smith and this preacher, Pruitt, in the town talk about is sometimes commandments are given in one time and they're right at one time, but there are other instances where different commandments are given. And it's, it's this subtle way uh, that both of these men in the show and then in real life kind of twisted scripture and twisted the morality of religion in a way to suit their needs. I just thought that was fascinating. Now this, this listener, Zach specifically asked me, he specifically said that he liked it through episode five and, and he's right. Episode five was probably some of the best television I've seen all year. It was phenomenal. The buildup to it and the philosophies presented about the afterlife in that episode were so impactful. It was, it was a beautiful exchange between a believer in Christ and someone who had deconstructed religion and them talking about their expectations of what the afterlife might look like. And the whole episode focused around that. It, it was fascinating and it was beautiful and also really dark and really sad. It's a horror, so of course it's going to be it's going to be scary and and weird. I, I do want to say 
But Mike Flanagan, his shows aren't so scary that, you know, that, that would give you nightmares. It's more like low-key suspense that builds up to a crazy moment or two in the whole show. And so when you're watching a show from Mike Flanagan, you just kind of, you're on the edge of your seat for most of it. And then it gets pretty crazy for an episode or two. And then it's back to the edge of your seat. Anyway, he, his criticism of this is interesting. So Zach is, is talking specifically about how gory it gets in the last few episodes, because it does, it really gets violent in the last few episodes. And, and I don't want to give it away. I don't want to talk about any spoilers. All I'm going to say is this. The show presents a very cool contrast between different types of believers in Christ. For those that have seen it or intend to watch it, pay attention to the way the main character's parents act in the last two episodes in comparison to just about everybody else on the island. Their reaction to what happens shows that they understood what Christianity was really about, whereas the rest of the congregation missed the point. And, and I loved this juxtaposition of a true believer not engaging in the crazy things happening and those that professed to believe engaging in these horrible acts. Now that's all I'm going to say about Midnight Mass. I loved the show. It was awesome. And Zach was asking me about some of my thoughts on it. So, so there they are. That's kind of what I thought. Now, I did respond to him with a little bit more detail, but I don't want to give any spoilers on, uh, on the podcast. Zach continued. He asked, um, he continued and he asked a couple of really good questions specifically about my, my choice to do episodes about General Conference. He said, I just listened to your General Conference review. I'm actually still an active member but have gone through a deconstruction and reconstruction of sorts with a very loose and nuanced view that works for me. I agreed with most of your critiques. I also appreciated that you tried to be positive about some aspects of the talks. Do you get anything positive out of carefully watching all of these sessions of conference? What feeds your need for, for spirituality since leaving Mormonism? For me as a listener, I would enjoy hearing more about what feeds your soul and if there are any aspects of Mormonism that you still see as positive, while pointing out usually well-deserved criticisms of the church. I really enjoyed your interview with, with Kaisa berlin Kaufusi. He recommended Rick Rohr. His book, Falling Upward, was spiritually life-changing for me. It presents some great ideas about spiritual maturity and all of the pros and cons of institutions. I think it would be appreciated by nuanced, by nuanced believer and agnostic atheist alike. Laying a lot on you right off the bat, but thanks for the great podcast. So that was, that was what he said. So that was the second half of it. There's a couple of questions and I'll, I'll get to as many of them as I can. He asked if I get anything positive out of watching General Conference. And I want to be careful how I word this. I don't feel like any of the positive I get from General Conference is unique to Mormonism. The positive aspects that I do get are typically not presented by the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. 
and they are usually buried in short talks in like the Saturday afternoon session. The reason I mention like the Saturday afternoon session is that one was my favorite one, but typically people don't listen to that one as much. If a, an active believing member of the church is going to pick one session to listen to, it's usually, it's usually going to be the Sunday morning session. From my experience, most believers don't listen. They don't dedicate the time to, to listen to all five sessions. They usually pick one or two on Sunday. Sometimes families will put it on in the background on Saturday while they're going about their day and their chores and such. And, and, and I don't have any, any criticism of the way someone wants to practice their belief. That's fine. But from my experience and my friends and family that do practice Mormonism, that's generally what, I've, what I have observed. My point with all this is that the best talks, in my opinion, usually are not during the sessions where they would get the most traction. Now, when I listened, I do try my hardest to remain neutral. What I gain from Mormonism that's good is not unique to Mormonism. Um, I think that there are some cool things that they could do with the theology. Maybe I'll talk about that at a future episode. But generally speaking, it's pretty boring. And when I was an active believing member of the church, I struggled to listen. I think I've mentioned this before, but I have, I have ADHD. And it is so hard for me to concentrate on the lessons and on the talks my mind almost as soon as they start talking and they present the name the speaker has 30 to 40 seconds to catch my attention and if they don't my mind would immediately wander and be somewhere else so as a believer i had to read them afterwards to to learn what they were trying to say and the same goes now it was really hard for me to sit and listen with my wife. And I, I spent most of Sunday in my office doing something else. And then I read them afterwards because it, it, my attention span just isn't there for, for the content. The next question he asked was, what feeds your spirituality since leaving Mormonism? I, I know that the word spirituality can be triggering for some people that have deconstructed religion from their lives. But I think it's an accurate way to portray this aspect. The way I interact with spirituality now, it's a, a self-improvement practice. When I left the church, I had a clear set of morals, a clear list of what was right and what was wrong. And as a kid, that worked for me. But as an adult, it was very damaging to me. And so as I've left, I have studied many other religions and philosophies in an attempt to understand what other people think of right and wrong and to build my own moral compass, taking the best bits of as many different ideologies as I can and compiling them into the moral compass that works for me. Some of the most influential things that I've read after leaving Mormonism 
I'll, I'll just mention two books. The book by Thich Nhat Hanh, Old Paths, White Clouds, was eye-opening to me. It combines a bunch of different versions of the story of the Buddha into one narrative, and he does it so well. And it is it was uh, life-changing for me. A lot of the messages in there were just so powerful. The next book I'm going to mention is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And this one, it's such a fascinating read. It's a little bit rambly. He kind of repeats a lot of the same things, but he never intended it to be like a handbook on how to live a good life. This was, this was basically a journal he kept while he was out on campaign in Germany. The thing that I love about this book is it's Marcus reminding himself to be a good person. And he quotes some of the philosophers that he has studied in an effort to help him ground himself in good reasoning for the things that he does. And it's so full of excellent one-liners and um, it was a jumping off point into stoicism for me. And the way I have rebuilt my spirituality and my moral compass is heavily inspired by stoicism. Maybe I'll talk a bit more about that down the road. But stoicism is basically a version of Aristotelian virtue ethics. But it's, it's cha- it changes the emphasis a little bit where uh, virtue ethics... There were some things that Aristotle talked about in virtue ethics that were outside of someone's control, and Stoicism tried to focus as much as it could on things that are within the control of the person. So, long answer, but those are some of the things that I have leaned on after leaving Mormonism. So thanks for the excellent question, Zach. I hope that 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 touched on some of the things that you were interested in me talking about. The last one I'll share, and I could have picked a number of them from YouTube, but I I really liked this interaction. I I did my best to respond in a kind way to this listener and also use the Socratic approach or straight epistemological approach. This comment uh, came up in one of my episodes where I was talking, where I was uh, going to into a little depth on the Old Testament. And this is what uh, this listener said. Oh, Scott, let me ask you some questions. Where do you think you come from? Why do you think you're here on this spinning blue planet? Do you think or believe that you are more than a physical body? Do you think that you could, you could develop faith if you knew everything? I know that I do not know everything, but I do believe that there are purposes or reasons in being here on this spinning blue planet. Your parents did something for you you could not do for yourself in giving you a physical body. I had polio when I was two years old. I walk around with two full leg braces and crutches. I used to be very angry at God. It has been painful and trying to overcome and understand some things in life. I do know that our Heavenly Father loves you and all of us and desires for us to grow up and become like He is. Some things we bring upon ourselves, others, are to help us grow up. God's love is there whether we want it or not. 
May God bless you and help you understand with straight and a determination to win. Also remember this, if you fail at a thing, you fail at a thing. You are not a failure. Be happy and know that you are loved. There was a lot that I could have said in response to that. There were a number of claims made and the the general tone was preachy and trying to encourage me to to come back to the faith. At least that's that's what it felt like as I read it. Now, I have deconstructed religion from my worldview. I could have responded in a number of different ways, but here's here's what I said back to him and I tried to be as as kind as I could in this. I said, I appreciate that your faith works for you. I'm not opposed to the idea of faith, and I might be willing to make a leap of faith or two, but not very many. Faith that God exists. Okay, but then which version of God? Why yours and not Krishna or the countless others? Let's say it's Yahweh. Why Christianity and not Judaism? Let's say it's Christianity. Why Mormonism and not Catholicism? Let's say it's Mormonism. Why the Brighamite branch and not the RLDS or Church of Christ? I could go through every tenet of each faith and ask similar questions. Why your afterlife over another? Why your version of a spirit over reincarnation? Why angels and demons instead of jinn or oni? There are no compelling answers to any of these questions that don't require leaps of faith. As I said at the outset, I could make one or two leaps of faith, but when the entire faith system has no more or less evidence than any other, I choose to find value in them all and remain apart from them all. One last point. I don't think there's anything wrong with someone wanting to believe in Christianity and follow Christ. But for me, there are way too many leaps of faith and there's way too much room for error. I choose to live a good life and that's enough for me. And he he responded and tried to encourage me to, you know, have more faith again, but I I tried my best in that response to present in a non-threatening way why I have come to the decisions that I have reached. I've got one more set of questions. These got asked as I was doing the prep work to, to start this recording. I thought they would be a good addition to the conversation, so I'm going to throw them on here at the end. The, these questions were in response to my reviews of the recent general conference, and it's a, it's a great jumping off place for a discussion. The last one that I'm going to read is from a listener on Facebook, and this is what he said. I really enjoyed your summary of this general conference. Nice to hear the good and the bad, trying to get the good from each talk. When you talked about Anderson's Sunday talk, I wanted to know your thoughts on a couple of things. And so he asks uh, two questions. One of the two has a couple of questions baked into it. The first one is, is a website domain becoming available a miracle? I like this question, and he's kind of putting me on the spot for what my actual stance is on miracles. There's recently a video going around of an atheist cursing God and saying, if you're real, I want lightning to strike. 
And the moment that this atheist or self-professed atheist says lightning strike, a bolt of lightning comes down and thunder roars through the audio on the video. Any given moment, there is always a chance for a lightning bolt to strike, especially if you're driving around in a car in a storm. So these things that oftentimes get described as miracles or everyday miracles are typically just things that happen or have a chance of happening on their own. Now that is my interpretation of this. Is a website domain becoming available a miracle? No, no it is not. In modern religion, the idea of a miracle has been shrunken considerably. Where anciently a miracle was, you know, the sun stayed in the sky and it was day for a couple of days. Or God parted the Red Sea. Now, those were ancient miracles. But today, the miracles are you found your car keys or a website domain became available. If you compare the miracles that we ascribe to God today to the miracles that are ascribed to God in antiquity, it seems like God is losing his power. Doesn't quite have the mojo that he used to. A miracle is typically something that is an unexplained occurrence. It does not follow the normal procession of this world natural events, natural orders, physics, and such. A website domain becoming available doesn't defy any sort of logic or known order. Every year, domains have to be renewed. When you buy a domain, you buy it for a set amount of time. You're, of course, able to renew that, and you would get first the first opportunity to renew it before it becomes available to someone else. But it is very normal for domains to expire and for the rights to shift to another party that isn't out of the normal that is something that happens regularly so I, I don't think it could be classified as a miracle maybe the timing is fortuitous but a miracle to me would be a stretch the second question he has has a little bit of a preface and he quotes a few lines from elder anderson's talk namely um, calling out the responsible media as the ones that will listen and change the names and um, refers to those that will be um, sympathetic, that they're fair-minded. Now, this is the question that he asks. Do you feel that, that, that this is a way of putting a fake news label to sources that don't use the full name of the church? As in, you can't trust a source that won't use our name? Now, while I think that that is something that could potentially happen, I don't I don't think that's their intention. I, I think that they're just trying to distance themselves from the word Mormon. Now, I'm not at these board meetings. I'm not privy to the conversations that they have at a higher level. This, this part is me postulating. Okay, I just want to make that clear. The church distancing itself from the term Mormon in a generation or two, once this concept has gone down the memory hole, if you will. Then they can position themselves as a Christian church. They can move away from the biases that the epithet Mormon brings along with it. For better or worse, that's the direction I think they're going. They just want to distance themselves 
from the term Mormon and have a complete rebranding. I think they're trying to make it more palatable to a wider audience. And again, this is me postulating. The church is losing members, and it's not having the same retention with the youth that it has had in the past. And so I think what they're trying to do is appeal to a wider audience. But back to the question that was presented here, I don't think that was their intention. I don't think that they're making a change like this because they want to call out a news outlet that doesn't mention the full name of the church and, and refer to it as fake news. While they could do that, and that honestly may be something that does happen, I don't think that's their intention. This was a fun episode for me to do. I love interacting with listeners. I've received so many more messages than I could have presented in an episode like this. I tried to pick the ones that would encourage the most discussion and some that would be uh, that I thought might be interesting to listen to. If you're a listener who reached out, sent a message, and I didn't comment about what you had said, that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy interacting with you. I only had time for a couple of them. I didn't want this episode to go too long. There were a few others that I considered talking about, and there's uh, one more that I, I may actually bring up in a future episode because this listener uh, commented specifically about an episode that I'm planning on doing in the future, and I I may say some I may bring up some of the points that she made in her comment to me because I thought they were awesome. As always, if you like the podcast, please like it, subscribe to it, share it with a friend. If there's something that you disagreed with or that you want to talk to me about, please reach out. I love interacting with listeners. And as always, I hope that you have an excellent day.